0: Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Um, Luke chapter 7. I want to just, I want to go through this story and I I wanted to title it A Pharisee and a Prostitute, but it felt too much like the beginning of a joke. And so, uh, so I'm still going to title it that. Um, What did we learn from a Pharisee and a prostitute that sat at the same table as Jesus? And really, what do we learn about Jesus? Um, What do we see in Jesus uh, when we see him interact with uh, two people uh, that couldn't be further from each other, at least in their own eyes, uh, but in Jesus' eyes doesn't see it that way? And so I want to just walk through kind of a few verses. And uh, I I tried to put this in a three-point sermon because Donnie made me feel bad about it. Um, and I, I just couldn't do it. I'm just not that guy, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, okay? Megan's nodding because she knows. That's probably something. She already knows my Enneagram number, so um, I don't know it, but I think she knows it. She won't tell me because uh, you're not supposed to, which I think is just a ploy to not have to. I'm just joking. I'm joking. Um, but, but this is just who I am. So Luke chapter 7, and we're going to talk through this. Let's read it first. And jump in. And as I often do, I'll probably stop every once in a while. And the the screens team really loves when I do that. I'm never sure when to go back to the logo and all this stuff. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. You guys ready? Everybody with me? All right, you turn to it in your phone. All right, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined uh, reclined at the table. I think that I'm not going to lay down on the ground like it did the last time, but what, Je- what Jesus has just done is, uh, is kind of tell them, hey, John the Baptist came this way, preaching and teaching, wearing the crazy outfits and eating weird bugs and baptizing people in the Jordan. I still think the greatest thing you can learn about Jesus is there's a, there's a verse that says Jesus in the, city of Ga- in the region of Galilee in the Jordan River baptized people uh, was baptized by John the Baptist. If you need to know anything about Jesus... You need to know that in an unreligious region, in a dirty river with a man-eaten locust was baptized to declare he had arrived. If you know anything about Jesus, just remember that verse. If you start thinking that we should be, uh, just, we just gotta be all cleaned up and perfect, just remember that verse. Jesus announced his arrival, or at least the coming of his ministry and the kingdom arriving, by being baptized in a, in a river that the Pharisees had deemed too dirty, in a region that was not Oklahoma City the Bible belt, and and, and, and was baptized by a man that some called crazy. That's where Jesus showed up. And, And so Jesus is here at this table with the Pharisees, and he's just told them about John the Baptist, and then he's told them about himself. Hey, he came preaching and teaching and baptizing. I've come eating and drinking, and in both cases, you don't approve. No matter how we do this, you're not letting it go. You, you don't want to change or, or begin to consider or, or think about things in any kind of different way. So you know what? We're, we're, we're kind of done because you've, you've stopped. I, I came to seek and save via eating and drinking, right? And you aren't okay with it. And you weren't okay with the way John the Baptist did it. So I guess I can't make you all happy. And so this guy, this Pharisee, steps in. Some would say that this is reference to a few other Gospels, and then others would say this is a separate story. You can make your own decision. This one has a few more details to it. And so Jesus gets invited to the table by this Pharisee. And what I love about Jesus, because I think we always get this notion that Jesus would never have gone to a Pharisee's table. No, they're too righteous. They're too religious. They're too whatever. Jesus, if you're offering a meal, Jesus was in. You know, like he's ready. Like he, like when he found Matthew, he didn't go to his house. He went to Matthew's house so Matthew could make him a meal. When he found Zacchaeus, whose house did he go to? Zacchaeus's house. I'm just saying. Some of y'all have that neighbor. Hey, you want to have dinner this week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we do it at your house? <laughs> Jesus, like just. And Jesus shows up at the Pharisees. He doesn't say no. I can't associate with your legalism or your fundamentalism or your whatever you want to call it. I can't do that. No, Jesus understood that all men needed saving. And he saw all people with the same image. so Jesus shows up at the Pharisees' table. I told you. We only made it one verse, and I stopped. Okay. And a woman in the town who was a sinner. Now, this is not just like a a general blanket statement, like, because everybody's a sinner. This is kind of one of those... um, was a professional sinner. Like this person knew what they were doing, had it down pat. Like everybody knew this woman as a sinner. Many would say she was a prostitute, that there was something she was doing that everybody knew she was doing, and so she had this label, this category. She was placed into it, and it's kind of how things were being run at the time. And so everybody knew who this woman was. Now, how many of you guys have ever read this and been like, that's really weird that she would just bust into somebody else's house and show up at someone else's table? right? Anybody think, because we have doors, right? Um, that's not really the way this would have worked, especially with someone like Jesus, the rabbi that everybody's following around, and not with like a Pharisee. It was pretty normal uh, to have a meal with important people open to the public. It was, it was kind of, people would come in and say hi, or they would just sit and watch. It, I know it's, it's not normal for us but it was fairly normal then. So that's why you don't see the Pharisee or Jesus. Neither one of them go, whoa, what's happening here? Why, is, why are you here? There's a good chance there were other people already there that were not partaking of the meal, but were part of the, the space and part of the environment. Okay? So this is not abnormal. That's the part. And that's, that's why later on you don't see the Pharisee going, how dare you break into my house? Or Jesus kind of going, whoa, where is this person coming from? This was somewhat normal to the day. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. And before we get into the rest of it, I just want you to take a second and consider. Just take a second and consider what's happening here. Right. The Pharisees invited Jesus after Jesus has said some not so nice things about the Pharisees. They're sitting at the table. This woman comes in with an expensive uh, jar of perfume, jar of oil, and she begins to cry, so much so, not like just a little tear, you know, you see in movies, just that one tear that somehow they magically get to come down the right spot of their cheek. Right? Not that kind of tear, like tears, sobbing enough so that she's able to wash his feet with her tears and doesn't have anything else but her hair to begin to clean his feet. I want you to think about the moment. I want you to think about the woman. I want you to think about what she had to be thinking about life, what she had to be thinking about people, what she had to be thinking about the labels and the categories she was put in. I want you to think about where she's at to barge into a place like this and not just be part of the surroundings, but actually put herself at the feet of Jesus, sobbing, and washing his feet with her hair. I just, I just, just right now, real quickly, I just want you, what sticks out to you? What do you think she's feeling? What do you think, do you think she's wondering about the people who are observing her act of unashamed, maybe worship you could call it, gratitude? I want you to begin to think about what you would think if you're at a meal with Jesus or the Pharisee, whichever one you want to say you are. If you said, I want to know the Pharisee, then you're thinking you're Jesus, but whatever. I want you to think about that meal, and I want you to think about a woman walking in. Everybody knows this woman's reputation, everybody knows her history, everybody knows her baggage, everybody knows the labels, everybody knows what's going on. She shows up at the table. Sobbing, crying—it doesn't look like she's crying out of sadness or even regret. It looks like she's it seems like she's crying out of a, out of a joy and a gratitude and a thankfulness. That's that's where we get to see Jesus in action when someone has walked in and and broken down in front of Jesus and in front of the Pharisees. In front of the Pharisees, most likely the ones who have labeled her a an official. Official sinner, right? It's in her bio. It, she's a sinner, clearly. And she begins to pour out her life in front of Jesus. And what's not catching the Pharisee's eye is the fact that she showed up. It's, it's not even the fact that she begins to pour the oil out or that she begins to wipe her, his feet with her hair. It's, it's none of those things. What does the Pharisee notice? Well let's read. Let's see what what he says. Verse thirty nine When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, if he were a prophet, so this should give you some inclination as to what he or why he invited Jesus to his table. He's clearly not already there with Jesus. He hasn't made this decision that Jesus is the Savior or is the Messiah or that somehow Jesus has proven himself. This is still one of those, I want to see what this guy's all about. This is more of an infatuation than it is a, a meal of honor or a meal of worship. This is him going, I'm going to interrogate. I'm going to check this thing out. I'm going to try to find out who Jesus really is, see if he says something that's not allowed to be said. He's, he's really trying to find something here. You, you know this because of the way The Pharisee responds, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this is what Pharisee gets upset about. It's not what the lady does. It's not how she shows up. It's not that she's crying. It's not that she pours the thing out. It's not any of those things. What does he notice? This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner, exclamation point. I know we don't use stuff like that anymore. Exclamation point means more like emphatic, right? You shout it. Some of you need to stop using that because you're not shouting all the time when you text it. Okay. Um, And Jesus is here in the Pharisee. The thing he notices, what does he notice? He doesn't notice the woman necessarily. He notices Jesus' response to the woman. What does he do? The first thing he does is he does the who and what. We do this a lot to people. We who and what people all the time. Every day of our lives, we who and what people? Who is it? And what kind of person are they? Not by talking to them, not by asking them questions, not by checking in on them, not by, no, we go, ah, who is that? And more importantly, what are they? Are they one of those, are they one of those Republican people or Democrat people? Are they a progressive or are they conservative? Are they, are they mask wearing or not mask wearing? I'm just throwing some of the hot ones out there, right? Uh, are they vaccine or not anti-vaccine? Are they, we don't like the middle. That doesn't exist. Nuance isn't there. So it's one or the other, right? Are, are, do, are, are they an Instagram person or are they, are they, you know, TikTok person? Are they, are they a Dallas Cowboy fan or not? Because <laughs> there's nothing else. <laughs> Let's go, cowboys. How them eagles flying? No. So the, I'm just gonna, so, so here's the thing. This is, we, we love the who and what people every day. We, and, and I'm not even telling you that it's a problem. Like if I walked into Walmart and nothing was labeled and there were no things on the aisles telling me where I was supposed to go, I'm already in there three times as long as I need to be. I already get lost, and they've got every sign imaginable. If they took all the labels and the categories away, oh, at least I would have an excuse then. I'm not telling you categories and labels are wrong, but when they are all, when they are everything, when they are all we look at a person, all we judge a person by, all we think about a person, that's when we've missed it. Because when we understand that we are all... The, 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 as we mentioned before, the thread of good and bad runs through all of us. We want this clean and clear distinction between the good people and the bad people. If we just get rid of all the bad people, if we could just get rid of all the bad people, the world would be good. And we keep trying. And it doesn't work. Why? Because you all got some good in you, and you all got some bad in you. And depending on the week you've got, I can tell you which one you're going to be. And even when we're being really, really good, we got some bad motives. And even when we've done some things that were really, really bad, we had good motives. It, it's like a no-win thing. This, this is the, kind of the whole point of this story. And so this Pharisee, the first thing he does is he who's and what's people. He puts them in a box, and he says, this is who you are. I don't, everything you've done is summed up in the fact that you are a sinner. And so he makes the... Judgment decision about it. But really what, he, what, he, more is, uh, what he's, he's thinking about more is this, and, and you see it here. He says, this man, if he were a prophet, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who she is, right? And that she's a sinner and that she's touching his feet. So There's two things. One commentator said they questioned two things. Number one, his discernment. A prophet would know that you can't associate with a person like this. A prophet would understand this person's evil, wrong, sinner, all this stuff. Second thing is holiness. If you do know who it is, why in the world would you let her touch your feet and get so close to you as to contaminate your feet? But remember, feet washing was a pretty sacred thing. Jesus actually was one of the things Jesus taught his disciples. He says, this is a pattern for you. That not mo- I'm showing you what to do for people who walk in. You wash their feet no matter what kind of life they've walked through. You wash their feet. Jesus. So this, this feet washing thing is not just some random thing. It's an important thing. And so this Pharisee is not questioning the woman. He's, he's made up his mind about the woman. He's questioning Jesus. How dare this Jesus... He clearly doesn't have discernment, or if he does, he clearly doesn't understand holiness. He clearly doesn't understand how you have to stay clean by getting away, by separating yourself from people. And Jesus, I love this. I love that Jesus always hears them or discerns their thoughts. Like, here he is. How many of you ever tried to hide something from Jesus? Uh, That was kind of perfect. I couldn't think of a good joke. So, but I, I don't if you've ever tried to hide something from Jesus and tried to make sure that um, and to make sure that He doesn't quite hear what you're thinking, right? So you say something under your breath about the person, maybe about your spouse. You know, your spouse didn't hear you, but I'm just going to let you know Jesus did. How's that for an old preacher trick? Jesus hears you and sees you every time you do something wrong. Just joking. Just re- relax. It's okay. Jesus sees it, Jesus hears it, and Jesus replies to his under the breath, under the, right? This Pharisee didn't say something for Jesus to hear, but Jesus heard it anyways, right? Jesus hears what the Pharisee says, and Jesus replies to him by saying this. I love this. Simon, yes, I have something to say to you. I don't know if you realize this, but has anyone ever told you um, I've got something to tell you? Have you ever heard that phrase from someone? Hey, I've got something to tell you. Do you ever, ever think this is going to be good? No, it's always, okay, what did my child do, right? Or what do you, what do you, you know, what's going to ruin my day? What, what, do we, what are we going to have to work out? How did I offend you, right? It's always, hey, I've got something to tell you. It says, Jesus, when the rest of the people in the room are going, oh, okay, this is awkward, what are we doing now? What are we, what's going to happen? Pharisees stop talking. He's talking under his breath. The rest of the people are watching this woman cry her life out in front of Jesus. And Jesus, this is, man, I'm going to tell you, I know we like to avoid awkward moments. We, we like to avoid difficult moments. But I want to tell you something. Sometimes those are the moments where Jesus speaks the most clearly and teaches us the greatest lessons. Don't, don't avoid these moments. That's, what, that's why stepping out in faith sometimes is so important because it puts you in a place where you can hear better. And see better. But it's also where you need to be enough, uh, honest enough with yourself or honest enough with others where Jesus can speak to you. If you're failing at something or struggling with something or hurt by something, you got to be honest about those things. It, it, if, if that wasn't part of the Bible, we wouldn't have Psalms. The, lament is such a big part. So there's got to be this willingness to, to be honest and open about what's going on. And Jesus says to, to Simon, says, hey, I, I need to tell you something. And teacher, he said, go ahead and say it. I would have been like, are you sure? Can we run it by? Can you like whisper it to someone, make sure it's good before you tell me? And the Pharisee says, no, I want you to go ahead and tell me. So Jesus goes into telling uh, a story. It it really kind of a, a, this may be a little bit of a parable, but telling an illustration. Verse 41 says this. He says "A, a, a creditor had two debtors. One owed 500, the other 50. Since they, everybody say they. Since they could not pay him back. I want you, I want you to catch that because it's a really, really important part of this, of this story that he's telling. He didn't say, since one had 500 to pay back. No, he said, since they, whether it be 500 or 50, both are put, in that moment, they're both put in the same place. Neither one of them could pay back their debt. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose. This is, this is such a typical... Have you ever been in an argument with someone and you don't want to admit that you just got schooled? And so you're kind of like, well, I mean, maybe. That's like your yes, but you don't want to give the full yes because the full yes would be like, yeah. Okay, you're right. So here's Simon. Well, I suppose. I mean, I guess. I, maybe. I suppose the one... He forgave more. I I suppose that one would be the one who loves Jesus or loves the creditor. Obviously, Jesus is the creditor in the story. I suppose the one who forgave him more. He says, you have judged correctly, Jesus told him. I read one commentary. He says this, perhaps nothing shuts us off from God more than human self-sufficiency. Perhaps nothing shuts us off from God more than human self-sufficiency. Revelation 3.17, the Lord's speaking to the church of Laodicea, and He says, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now some of you are like, man, that's harsh. But it's preceding one of the most quoted verses of all time as i stand at the door and knock so he says hey you you need to understand you need me that's why i've been standing at your door knocking all of this time this is not a verse of jesus going how dare you church you're terrible you're ugly you're what he's going you do not realize that the one you need has been standing at the door of your life knocking and wanting to come in so i can mend hearts so i can bring life so that hope can be restored So I can bring peace. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. See, here's the thing, man. Um, Wisdom never thinks it's wise. In the same way, a follower of Jesus never believes they've arrived. You never just show up and go, man, I've got it all together. The moment we do that is the moment we lose the the, the feeling and the understanding the revelation of grace. This is why Paul could say things like, I'm the foremost of sinners. Because he didn't count that as some detriment to who he was. He understood that in his realization of that, he could fully experience the goodness of God. It's why we, when we, we think of this word like repentance, my, the greatest definition for me, the one that makes make most sense to me, is that repentance often was used, the word for repentance was often used to, to in the same vein as, as the prodigal son. Repentance was this idea that you're not just turning away from bad things. Right? That, that's so often used for us to feel bad about things. Repentance more often is turning back to go home to realizing that the, the things we're eating and partaking of actually aren't sustaining us and they aren't, they aren't actually helping us. And to come home to the place where a party would be thrown, where a meal would be prepared, and that where my father would welcome me in with open arms. And he, just like the prodigal son, the father standing on the mountain, just like in Revelation 3, I stand at the door and knock. God's posture towards you is always, always, always love and forgiveness. Always. There is not a moment where God goes, Oh, I don't know. His posture towards you is always one of saying, Come home, come home, come home. And so here's this Pharisee who's missing out on the goodness of Jesus because he's he's self-sufficient. One other writer said this this one thing which shuts a man off from God is self-sufficiency. I know you've heard that part. And the strange thing is that the better a man is, the more he feels his sin. In other words, once we begin to understand that there are things in us that aren't perfect, that we don't have it all together, is when we begin to live a humble life, when we begin to live a sacrificial life, when we begin to understand that we can love people where they are because we understand where we are. The humility is... And this is not to to live this life of shoulders down, head down, I'm a terrible person. This is to simply say that we understand... Our need for a Savior. And in understanding our weakness, His strength rises up in us. Paul could speak of sinners of whom I am the most. Francis of Assisi said, There is nowhere a more wretched and a more miserable sinner than I. It is true to say that the greatest of sins is to be conscious of no sin. Now I know this doesn't hit the same way it might have hit 20 years ago. We've moved into an era where sin is a bad word. That not the sin you do is bad, but the fact that you would even think such a thing exists is bad. That, that we would have any kind of idea that something might not be good. And God is saying, hey, no, 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 there are things that, that aren't good, but not because I want to continue for them, but because I want to save you from them. Because I want to rescue you from this rat race. I want to rescue you from the hurry. I want to rescue you from the noise. And I want to rescue you from the things you are doing because of those things. This, this pulling in those things and making them who you are rather than living in the peace that comes from Jesus. And so Jesus continues with Simon. And he says, turning to the woman, he says to Simon, so, uh, so remember where we were, remember. I, I know I've talked a lot in between this story. So, so, so this woman shows up cries tears so many tears she can wash his feet. Simon thinks, "Oh how dare he. he obviously can't discern it or obviously isn't holy enough." So I clearly I'm not going to worship him as a prophet. Well, that's not why Jesus came. He wasn't a prophet, he was a savior. Okay? So he he came to get close so that he could bring close, right? So that's the whole goal of Jesus. And so the so so he's questioning this and and then Jesus gives him a story. He says, hey, can I tell you a story? Simon says, sure. He probably should have said no because because now Simon's in it. And so Jesus looks at the woman now. This is where we're picking up. Jesus looks at the woman and says to Simon, I don't even know if he ever looks back at Simon. He's looking at the woman, crying, poured out the oil, washing his feet, and says to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Now, of course, Simon sees her. He's already made a judgment about her. He already who'd and what to her, Right? He's already made, of course he's seen her. So why is Jesus saying it again? Do you see this woman? Now I want you to, Simon, I want you to take another look. Do you really see this woman? I want you to think about the story I just told you. The one that was forgiven of 500, the one that was forgiven of 50. I want you to think about it now. I want you to think about it in context of what I just presented to you and what I just taught you. You called me a teacher and I just taught you something. I want you to understand what, What did you just experience? And now, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Do you really understand what's going on? Do you really understand what she's doing? Do you really get the idea of what's happening? So here's Simon going, I wonder if Jesus really sees who she is. Right? This is how this started. I wonder if Jesus really understands, really sees her. And what is Jesus doing? He's flipping the table on. He's saying, do you see who this woman really is? Do you understand what she's done? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. She, she's poured out everything for me. She's given me all the things that you were supposed to do there is tradition and it's not new to you and it's not something you've never done before and if you really wanted to treat me like the person that that an honored guest you would have done all of these things you gave me no kiss but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in you didn't anoint my head with olive oil but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil therefore I tell you her many sins have been forgiven that's why she loved much but the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Do you see her? Do you see this woman in all her pain and all her labels and all the categories and all the things you want to call her and say about her and all the who's and what you want to put on her? All the stuff. Do you really see this woman? Because I do. I, I, I see a woman who didn't, didn't judge her stature. As the thing that defined her. But she came in with a posture of worship and thankfulness. She came in with an attitude of, of I'm going to honor Jesus. I've been forgiven and given grace. I, I've showed up in faith trusting that the one who has healed lepers and the one who has made blind eyes see and the one who's forgiven the lame man on a mat and the one who's done the, all of these things, I trust that he will do what he's already done. And Jesus Begins to make new. One commentary says this. I entered into thine house. How strong the contrast between the indifference of the Pharisee and the earnestness of the penitent. He withheld water. She gave precious tears. The blood of her heart, says Augustine. He gave no kiss to his cheeks. She covered his feet with kisses. He grudged even a drop of oil. She broke the box of rare ointment for her. He treated him with despite. As an underling, she adored him as a prince. I remember being at this church conference uh, years ago, and I remember seeing this guy in the front row. Uh, and, and I was way up in the back. I think Scott was with me. And, uh, and I see this guy just worshiping like crazy. And there was a moment, I mean, and I mean, like, he like it, honestly, doing some twirls and doing the stuff. And you, he stood out like a sore. He was just going nuts. And, and I loved it, but it was, it was, you could tell he was on the front row doing his thing. And I ran into the guy in the lobby. I started talking to him. And he says, man, uh, just two years ago, I was a complete drug addict. I was completely lost, and I was, I was hurting, and I was broken. And I'd been in drugs for a while. And I mean the serious stuff. And he's telling me the story. And he says, then I walked into this church, and I, I got a revelation of who Christ was. And, every, and, now, and at that time, it had just been a couple years, he was now a campus pastor of one of, these, of, one of their locations. And he, said, so, and he said this to me. He said, and so I worship because of that. I know what I was saved from. See, I think so often we judge people's worship. We get people who have had their life radically changed by the grace and goodness of God. And they get in here and they worship and they celebrate and we go, oh, such a fanatic. Or I could never do that. Or I'm never going to go there. We don't get the right to judge the way people worship the Lord. Because we don't always know their story. We don't get to who and what people people need to come in here and be able to express their gratitude and their thankfulness they need to express their hurt and their pain as well they need to be able to come into a place and experience forgiveness not judgment and they need to know because this church knows that Jesus does not step away but steps close Jesus doesn't fill the silence with more silence but he fills it with a story of grace and forgiveness and Jesus looks at this young lady and looks at Simon the Pharisee who's supposed to have it all together says, do you really see her? Because here's the reality of the situation, and this is where it gets hard for you and I as followers of Jesus, is that the way we see people often reveals how we see Jesus. The way we see see people and the way we treat people and the way we judge people is often a a revelation of how we see Jesus. How do we think Jesus would treat them? Uh, A.W. Tozer has this great quote, and it gets quoted all the time, and he says, uh, the most important thing in your life is how you see God. Because all of our worship is based onto that. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Now, that that quote happened about 40 years before the one I'm about to quote you from C.S. Lewis. They they may sound like they're an argument, but I I don't think they are. I think the ultimate goal is the same. C.S. Lewis says, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. Now, I don't think A.W. Tozer was disagreeing with that. They didn't really hang out together. The goal is here, though, do you think of God as a judge of your life? Do you think of God as one who loves you? The most important thing you can understand is how deeply Jesus cares for you. How deeply God wants to... Move in your life how much he wants you to understand his care. What do we see about Jesus in this moment? What do we see about who he is? One of the toughest things to do these days uh, is invite people to church. And there's two reasons, I think. There's two reasons. One is, it's really hard to invite people to church who think their life's pretty good as it is. You know what I'm talking about? brunch is a better option because life's good that way I get it right we this that it's hard to invite people because we've we've become a a people where life's good even when it's not but I cover it up with all these other things I deal with all these other I don't need to go there because I've got I've got it all together here and the other one is the other obstacle is when people think the church is perfect when people think that people in here have it all together and have it all good, then they don't want to step in there when they aren't. So we've got this real conundrum. Because you've got some people who won't come to church because they're like, well, no, my life's good. And then you've got other people who come to church because everybody in church's life is good. And this is why this is so important to understand a story like this. It's because Jesus is looking at both the Pharisee and the prostitute and saying the same exact thing. The only difference is the posture of each the only difference is the posture of each person. Jesus is saying, you both need my grace. You both need my forgiveness. You both cannot be self-sufficient. You're both going to get categorized. You're both going to get labeled. You're both going to have things said about you. You're both going to have people who don't like you. You're both going to have moments where you can't figure it out. You're both going to have moments of turmoil and frustration. You both, both of you are but I want to forgive and I want to bring grace and I want to bring life and I'm sitting at your table so that you can see that in all people there is the image of Christ. And then he says to the lady says to the woman he says to her this he says you're forgiven your faith has made you well and the last thing he says to her go in peace. Go in peace. Go in peace peace. What does that look like for a world that needs peace? What does it look like for a world who sometimes is in the, in the life of a prostitute? People have labeled them certain things and they want to come to Jesus. What does it look like to come to Jesus and to know that Jesus will always respond to you with grace and peace? Grace and peace. What is it for this woman to walk away having walked in broken shedding tears, giving all of her life, pouring it out, and for Jesus to look at her and say, you go in peace. Your faith has made you well. She walks out of that place, and I'm sure not everything's sorted. I'm sure not everything's figured out. I'm sure not everything is done. I'm sure not everything is perfect, but she walks out of there with the one thing that no other man could give her, walks out with no thing that the world could provide for her, walks out understanding that peace is... Has been given to me, and from the inside out, I'm able to live this life without the labels, without the judgments, without the categorizations, without the whos and whats of other people, walking out in peace and knowing that Jesus forgives fully. What does it look like for us to look like Jesus? Do we identify more with the stature of the Pharisee or the stature of the prostitute, or do we identify with the posture? the Pharisee or the posture of the process are we willing to come before God pour out our lives so that he can give us peace while you bow your heads as we close Lord I thank you so much for today I thank you for your grace I thank you for your peace I thank you that you are full of life and I thank you that you have made a way God I pray that today as we as we close out I pray that people would hear that Jesus doesn't step away from the table when we walk in. With all of our stuff, with all of our baggage, with all of our sin, with all of, all of our mistakes, with all of our frustrations. Jesus, you don't step away. You don't back up. You don't. No, you actually break the silence. And no matter who's sitting at the table, no matter who is standing around judging and making decisions about who we are. Jesus, You. You forgive, set free, and send us out in peace. God, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you that you have made us new. I pray that today as we close in worship, I pray that we go in peace. Not in turmoil, not in chaos, not in frustration, but in peace. Because that is who we see you to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.